Today's episode is sponsored by Stream by AlphaSense. Stream offers a vast library of over 26,000 expert transcripts powered by AI search technology. Plus, they provide competitive rates on expert call services, and you can even have an experienced buy-side analyst conduct the calls for you. Stream also provides the ability to source and host calls with experts one-on-one and get your calls transcribed free of charge. Some of the source material that I use even for this podcast episode come directly from the Stream database. If you perform fundamental analysis and consider it helpful to speak with customers, former employees, and consultants about a company of interest, then I encourage you to check out Stream by AlphaSense. In today's episode of the Quality Investing Podcast, we will be profiling Agora, and I will be joined in the second half of the episode by Tony Zhao, the founder and CEO of Agora. As always, this podcast is for informational purposes only, and nothing presented here is intended to be investment advice. I highly encourage you to do your own research and draw your own conclusions, or to allocate your capital to an investment advisor who you compensate to act as your fiduciary. Lastly, none of the opinions expressed by myself or by podcast guests is a reflection of those of Asheville Capital Management or of the company being profiled. Tony Zhao's appearance in this episode does not reflect an endorsement for any of the research that is presented in the first half of the show. Without further delay, let's get started. Agora is a dual headquartered company with head offices in both Santa Clara, California, and in Shanghai. The company is publicly traded with depository shares listed on the NASDAQ under ticker API. Agora is a provider of a piece of software called an application program interface. These are better known as APIs. APIs, at their most basic level, are simply interfaces that software developers interact with in order to build applications on top of them. To give you an analogy for what an API is, let's pretend you are building a robot and you want your robot to get into a car and drive across town. When you drive a car, do you ever care how it works inside? Do you know or care how many cylinders that engine uses? how the gasoline gets delivered to the engine block for internal combustion, or the ways in which the various oils and coolants function to move that vehicle from point A to point B? Chances are the answer is no. And when you are building this robot, you don't want to have to teach these things to your robot in order for it to drive the vehicle across town. What you really need to teach your robot is how to interact with the interface of the vehicle. Things like the steering wheel, the gear shift, the gas and brake pedals, the mirrors, etc. If you can teach your robot how to effectively interact with the interface of the vehicle, you can teach them to drive across town. They don't have to understand the hundreds of additional processes that occur under the hood that make that vehicle function. That, in a nutshell, is what an API does for software developers. APIs are interfaces that software developers interact with in order to build things. Let's take Twilio, for example. Twilio is a well-known company that provides APIs for communications. Software developers interact with Twilio's messaging APIs in order to embed the ability to send messages between phones through apps. Software developers are not required to have a deep technical knowledge about how phones communicate with each other. Through the simple use of an API, they can very quickly embed enterprise-grade features into their applications. Twilio handles all of the complex tasks on the back end and provides a very simple user interface on the front end. 
These APIs are fantastic because they allow software developers to spend less time on things that are outside their circle of expertise and more time on things that provide actual value to their companies. There are thousands of companies all over the world that provide APIs that abstract away complicated tasks. Together, these companies make up what is popularly known as the API economy. The API economy is one of the largest overarching global megatrends that has transpired in the world in the last 20 years, transcending business building and lowering the technical barriers that are required for companies to get up and running with enterprise-grade features from the jump. Now, it is not my goal in this episode to attempt to sell you on the API economy. In fact, many of you may already be familiar with APIs and the business values that they provide. If you aren't familiar though, I hope this has provided you with basic information. And if you wanna learn more, I encourage you to Google it. Today, I wanna talk to you about one particular company that exists within the API economy, Agora. Agora is very similar to Twilio in a lot of ways, and yet very different in a few key areas. The primary comparative point is that Agora and Twilio both provide APIs for communication. The primary difference is that while Twilio provides mostly messaging and phone call capabilities, Agora provides real-time audio and video capabilities. Twilio also has a real-time video API, but there are some significant differences between the two products that we will get into in a moment. Sticking to the basics, Agora's API allows software engineers to quickly embed real-time audio and video capabilities into mobile and desktop applications. Let's say, for example, I'm building a poker app and I want users to be able to see and communicate with each other in real time. Using Agora's API, I can quickly embed that function and be up and running in very little time. Agora employs a freemium business model whereby developers can use the API for free for the first 10,000 minutes per month. And then as usage exceeds that 10,000 minutes, Agora charges per minute per user. 10,000 minutes may sound like a lot, but it actually goes quickly for a lot of these customers. Every month, Agora powers more than 50 billion minutes of real-time engagement across more than 100 countries and approximately 550,000 applications. Agora's core use cases are primarily focused on education, social media, and e-commerce, although there are more than 200 use cases with new ones emerging each day. Agora produced $160 million of revenue in 2022, and a little bit more than half of those revenues came from within China, with the rest coming from international markets like Southeast Asia and America. Agora's large revenues in China are primarily the result of being created and scaled in China before eventually expanding to focus more on international revenues. To that end, Agora has a dominant market share in China, with approximately 45% market share and more than the sum of their next seven competitors combined. The market is incredibly fragmented below Agora, and the company continues to gain market share in its home market because of a few advantages that are unique to Agora's business. The first and most important advantage is that Agora owns its own infrastructure that allows it to route its own data packets algorithmically over the internet in the most optimal fashion, rather than by relying on internet service providers, which have no incentive to prioritize or optimize Agora's data traffic. Without getting too much into the technical details here, when you send any data across the internet, 
the data packets pass through different physical networks managed by various network operators. Since the public internet is like one huge complex spiderweb, there are many paths that your data traffic can take going through the internet. ISPs, or internet service providers, use something called Border Gateway Patrol to create a map of forwarding routes for the destinations on the internet. They operate the internet very similarly to how an air traffic controller might operate airspace. Agora, by owning its own network infrastructure, can intercept the data that originates from an application that uses its APIs. This data is then routed along the optimal path in order to get from point A to point B in the most efficient manner. This allows Agora to provide a multitude of benefits that competitors are unable to match. First, it allows Agora to be structurally low cost. Second, it allows Agora to deliver better performance with lower levels of latency and a greater degree of network adaptability for users that are in suboptimal network environments. Lastly, Agora is able to offer true scalability that is able to accommodate hundreds of thousands of users in a single room on any given application. It is a potent combination when superior performance can be combined with an advantage that renders them the structural low-cost provider in the industry. Agora pairs these two advantages with an API that is extremely easy to interact with on the front end and a pricing model that allows users to build and test with the API for free. Agora only begins to charge for its services when usage exceeds 10,000 minutes per month. Today, Agora is one of two scaled providers that delivers real-time audio and video over their own proprietary network. The other company is Zoom. Almost all other providers in this space utilize a popular open source technology called WebRTC, which was created within Google and released to the public back in 2011. Agora and Zoom both decided early on to build their own proprietary networks because both founders realized early in life that the public internet was not ideal for the delivery of real-time audio and video communications. Interestingly enough, both of the founders of Agora and Zoom, Tony Zhao and Eric Wan, were both founding engineers of WebEx way back in 1998. I will spare you the details because Tony talks about that in our interview that begins in a few minutes. But suffice to say, both of them realized that better performance could be achieved through the ownership of their own network infrastructure. To this day, independent studies have confirmed that Zoom outperforms all of its competition when it comes to network latency and packet loss. Similarly, Agora outperforms its competitors on these same metrics. A unique difference that separates Agora and Zoom is that Zoom is fundamentally a product, whereas Agora is fundamentally a tool. Tony explains more about that as well in a few minutes, but it is important to understand. Two last things that I will mention. The first is market size, and the second is about recent events. The market size for this industry is difficult to estimate. Agora is the market share leader in this industry with a relatively small $116 million in total revenues. In order to estimate future growth, one has to make predictions for future use cases that are not really in existence today. Agora dominates a few markets and has a few bread and butter use cases like education, dating, and social media, but the majority of these use cases that drive revenue today would have been difficult to predict several years ago. And likewise, the use cases that are going to drive revenues in the years that follow are going to be equally difficult to predict. The important thing to understand, though, 
is that Agora is winning a developer mind share in this industry. And when new use cases emerge, there's a substantial probability that Agora will be the API that those applications get built on top of because of the reasons outlined earlier. A famous example that nobody could have predicted was Clubhouse, which exploded in late 2020 and early 2021 as a popular audio social media application. Clubhouse was and is an Agora customer. Instantly, within only a few short months, lookalike competitors sprung up to compete with Clubhouse, including Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, Discord, Reddit, and even LinkedIn. Several of those competitors used Agora to build their apps. Likewise, there have been a number of Zoom competitors that have sprung up in the last few years. Several of those companies have been powered by Agora under the hood. The point that I'm making is that Agora's success is not dependent on a single company. Their eggs are in almost every basket of every industry that has a need for real-time communications, now and in the future. And their advantages make it likely that they continue to gain market share going forward. Lastly, a breakdown of Agora would be incomplete without acknowledging recent events that have affected their business. To walk you through a brief timeline of the last two years, let's backtrack to 2019. In the fourth quarter of 2019, Agora produced about $20 million in total revenues. Roughly $3 million per quarter was coming from the Chinese online tutoring companies. In the next three months, these K-12 revenues would quadruple to more than $12 million as the onset of the coronavirus pandemic led to a spike in overall usage for Agora services. Approximately six months later, the Chinese government banned private tutors from giving online classes in an effort to curb education initiatives that avoided Chinese government licensing. These revenues accounted for approximately 25% of Agora's total revenues, and they were wiped out in just a few short months. Agora's surface-level metrics all took a hit with revenue growth stalling from 48% and 107% in 2019 and 2020, respectively, to 26% in 2021, and a negative 4% in 2022. Likewise, operating losses have expanded because Agora invested ahead of itself when it was experiencing revenue growth and has been hurt by the loss of a key revenue stream. It's important to note, though, that although Agora lost 25% of its revenues, revenue only declined 4%. And that's because the underlying business that wasn't tied to K-12 grew at a rate that allowed Agora to only lose 4% of total revenues. Despite this, and a handful of challenges that I discussed with Tony in our call, Tony and the team at Agora continue to articulate that their competitive advantages are still in place and that they are well positioned to capture market share profitably in the years to come. With more than $400 million in cash and equivalents and losses amounting to $52 million in 2022, Agora has more than sufficient cash reserves to see them through break-even profitability that could happen within the next 12 months. As such, they are using a portion of these cash reserves to buy back their shares on the open market, while the stock currently trades at a negative enterprise value. The company spent $42 million in 2022 repurchasing approximately 10% of its shares outstanding, and it retains an additional $160 million that is set aside for future repurchases, which could account for a total of 50% of the shares outstanding. Additionally, Tony Zhao, who you're about to hear from, has used his personal funds to purchase approximately 1.6 million shares on the open market in 2022. Without further ado, I now turn the page on this podcast over to part two, my interview with Tony Zhao. Thanks for listening to me ramble and enjoy our conversation. 
Tony, first of all, thanks so much for coming on. Sure. Uh, we're glad to, you know, to talk and appreciate uh, for the invitation. So I, I think it would be really helpful just to start with your personal history and how you got into this space. Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting one. I'd love to hear it from your perspective. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I, it's uh, not uh, that complicated, but uh, uh, somewhat uh, it's not what I expected as well. You know, I, I started to program in my high school years and I really into it. Although at that time, uh, my uh, interest is really in physics. However, I somehow, you know, didn't study physics in the college and uh, gradually start to program for, you know, companies, uh, you know, uh, during my college years. And I found that, uh, you know, I, I could do that job very well. So <laughs> I started to, you know, just work on programming in all kinds of software companies after my graduation. And uh, uh, it was uh, uh, like 20, uh, I think 25 years ago for now, I joined WebEx uh, in its early days where there's uh, only like, a, uh, like a, you know, 10 or uh, 20 people in that company. And we were trying all sorts of stuff. And uh, um, the, it, it's in there, I start to work on real-time internet or real-time uh, audio video sessions for like a, a collaboration uh, software tools. And uh, um, it's a painful uh, experience uh, starting to work in that area, that, that, that area. Um, but uh, uh, after a while, I found it uh, is um, both challenging, but uh, uh, also, um, you know, useful or, you know, helpful for, you know, users. And then, you know, uh, after uh, working at Webex for seven years, I uh, left the company and, uh, uh, get back to China to uh, kind of fund uh, one of my own startup, uh, working on real-time video peer-to-peer uh, -peer streaming. And that company um, got some investment, uh, get some uh, you know customers, but uh, doesn't grow fast enough, at least to my expectation, and to, of course, to, <laughs> to my investors' expectation. And then we um, sell that company to a game uh, community company. Um, at that time called Doan, but uh, uh, it, it, it is the early days uh, when that company started to launch um, a voice chat tool for gamers, uh, very similar to today's uh, Discord, uh, but uh, mainly in chat market. Uh, it's called YY. And uh, the merge of the company, uh, the purpose of the merge is to you know, invest more, uh, for Doan to invest more into that uh, voice chat app and uh, uh, you know, uh, it, it is uh, at the time where World of the Warcraft uh, just uh, become so popular and a lot of gamers just depending on that kind of tour to organize uh, a raid or, uh, you know, a game playing event uh, or even after game, they, 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 they would love to still hang out and talk. Uh, so in that company, I work for, um, uh, you know, uh, for, for, for YY, for around five years and uh, you know after the 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 audio and uh, uh, video quality gets improved a lot uh, the the user growth is really very fast and eventually that company become uh, quite big and uh, go public in uh, 2012 in Nasdaq and uh, and then you know uh, I stayed there for uh, 
you know, a little bit longer and uh, let that company and start the Agora, uh, where we see the smartphone transformation, you know, from PC to smartphone. Uh, there will be uh, even more use cases uh, for real-time audio video. And uh, uh, at the time, WebRTC is already there, but uh, we found it uh, still have a lot of, uh, uh, you know, missing piece, uh, so to say, you know, for any customer to just uh, easily integrate and use. Uh, so we want to uh, design something, uh, you know, more aligned to, you know, the smartphone trend uh, designed for apps, but also co uh, cover website. So to, you know, enable all new use cases. And that's the start, uh, that's the beginning of uh, Agora. So if I understand correctly, the WebRTC technology has evolved quite a lot. And it sounds like ultimately the value proposition is the same. It's like you were trying to do real-time audio and video with WebEx back in the late 1990s, which is what you're similarly trying to do. But technically, can you just help me understand what were some of the core challenges uh, that WebEx encountered in those early years? And how has the RTC technology evolved over, over that time? Sure, sure. Um, uh, the technical environment is quite different, uh, but the nature of the challenge is uh, still sim similar uh, even today. Uh, the technical environment by that time is uh, most of the, uh, you know, uh, the internet connections at home is still dialed up you know, <laughs> through the phone line. Or sometimes, uh, you, if you're lucky, you can guide line, uh, you know, through a cable modem. But uh, all basically a narrow band, you know, very low bit rate. Um, it's uh, hard to transmit any video. Uh, for voice, it's, uh, you know, barely uh, enough if the connectivity quality is good. Um, however, if you, uh, you, if you are uh, working, you know, if you're using it in a corporate environment, uh, usually, uh, any company already have a you know broadband connection to office, and uh, PC is a good enough device uh, to to you know to 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 encode and decode audio video signals. Um, but the the problem, as I said, you know, uh, in the early days, WebEx, it's a painful uh, it's a painful experience for me to jump on in this uh, sector. It is because uh, you know. Um, I, I, I'm a fairly good programmer, and uh, uh, I didn't realize when I started to work in this area, you know, I didn't realize, you know, even if my code doesn't seem to have any, uh, you know, bug or design issues, uh, your audio communication quality could still be very bad. Uh, you know, I realized that, you know, after uh, the first version, uh, you know, goes live, and uh, instantly, there's many uh, problems comes back. Like, you know, people would uh, constantly keep uh, complaining about, you know, I couldn't hear anything. And, uh, you know, or the voice is breaking up. Uh, it, it, those are, uh, you know, kind of issues. A lot of times when I have to uh, debug or, you know, diagnostic to find out uh, the root cause and, uh, you know, show you know, prove to them that's not really a software bug. It's rather uh, somehow your device is misconfigured or, you know, some certain wire was not plugged in uh, well. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, it could be your network connectivity 
has certain issue, like there's uh, extensive packet loss, but uh, it's really like a painful experience. You know, <laughs> I wasn't, you know, having an idea or any idea, you know, if that situation happened, how could I, you know, solve those problems for customers? I remember I once, in, you know, come up with a list myself of so-called certified uh, audio, uh, audio card list uh, where, you know, anyone, uh, you know, trying to complain about the, you know, audio card issue, I will come up with, uh, I, will, I will ask them to check if the card is on that list. But that's, you know, definitely not an ideal solution. It's, uh, uh, you know, better than nothing. In regard to those WebEx days, you worked alongside Eric Wan back then. And as most people know, Eric is the founder and CEO of Zoom. Did you both remain close? Because it seems like you followed a similar path. Right, right. I, th I think the reason we follow a similar path is more of we, we might be uh, sharing some uh, similar um, behaviors, like we stick to the things we, 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 we like or stick to the things that we work on. You know, uh, Eric is probably sticking to, you know, the collaboration and uh, online meeting space. For me, I'm a more, um, you know, engineer or hardcore technology uh, person, so I stick to the technology I work on, <laughs> real-time audio-video, and it just transformed the, the the form on and format of the application. But eventually, it, it's still the same, uh, you know, technology I'm working on. Eric and I, um, you know, we are not just a, a coworker and a friend in WebEx. We actually know each other in even early days, and uh, we have some uh, experience uh, trying to, you know trying to, 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 to work together and for even smaller startup before WebEx, but uh, it wasn't so successful. <laughs> we <laughs> eventually get together again in WebEx and luckily WebEx was a success. What was the startup before WebEx? Well, it's a very small PC era technology company. Um, you know, I was uh, there trying to build a, a desktop publishing software I'd say, and uh, you know the company is also trying to make some money by providing training course for wh whoever wants to learn some, uh, uh, you know, programming skill and uh, uh, and and uh, you know skills in using uh, you know all sorts of uh, software. Uh, but uh, you know the, the it's only it was only three percent at the time. For I stick for I stick for it for a little bit more than a year. I think uh, Eric stick uh, you know stay there for a little longer, but uh, eventually it wouldn't uh, goes anywhere. <laughs> that's that's cool. That's cool. I did not know that. What I think is really interesting, and the reason why I asked this was sort of for this follow up, is because Eric left what he was doing before to create Zoom, right and. Zoom is a product, right? It's like it's a right. conferencing product that yes. consumers and businesses pay for. And you left to create Agora, the software development kit, that if I were to create a competitor to Zoom, uh -huh. I would I would use Agora as the underlying sort of application. And so where Eric created a product, you created a tool. Can you just help me understand why you created yeah. a tool instead of a product? Right, right. 
First of all, you know, what I was really uh, into is definitely, uh, you know, all possible technical ways to improve uh, people's experience using this technology, including uh, the stability, like what we experienced just now, you know, it can deal with all kind of different devices and all kinds of uh, connections, uh, you know, uh, in, in uh, like today's challenge, more of wireless, uh, you know, and also uh, with uh, with uh, uh, with uh, uh, limited uh, um, you know computing power with different uh, devices or you know even sometimes running running on IoT devices. Um, so uh, you know I've been keep working on that and trying on improve uh, improvements of that, uh, and uh, it, it is uh, an inspiration uh, you know where I start to feel the passion of our customers in various era where the users are young and innovative, they start from uh, using uh, YY as a, you know, as a gamer communication tool, but eventually they start to talk about all topics and share interests. Like people would, uh, you know, start to talk about their um, talents, like someone uh, can sing very well, or someone can speak, uh, you know, Korean, let's say. And, uh, uh, and and uh, it, it, it's uh, it, it it just happened in the community at, that people start to teach, uh, you know, language or their skills or start to you know singing karaoke together, and uh, that was a moment uh, that I realized uh, that once the real time audio video signal is connected among people, people start to be very social. You know, their mm. social nature start to be able to be be being, um, you know, empowered or enabled. Uh, people start to engage with each other with all social skills and social activities. Uh, that was a moment I realized if smartphone is becoming, uh, you know, the uh, default computing device and everyone would take it everywhere, you know, to any, anywhere uh, all the time, then, you know, if we develop some technology could just easily enable uh, fairly high quality real time audio video connect, connect connection, then people would uh, be able to use it for all purpose, not just uh, like meeting or playing game together. They would be able to, you know, maybe just uh, making friends and share uh, different opinions, uh, you know, on topics and uh, also maybe uh, teaching each other or, you know, lear- learning from things or enjoy uh, certain performance online. It will be a a big um, step forward for people to enjoy all social activities uh, from anywhere through the smartphone device. Uh, And by doing that, we realize, you know, it's impossible for me to build an all-purpose application to do all that. And a single company might not even be able to do it. Then my um, approach, approach as a technical guy, you know, with uh, observation of API economy and developer communities growth, my idea would be, you know, let's build a simple and easy to use API and mm. pack all the technical stack we developed, like from the front end to the back end, so that any developers could easily build an application on that. Uh, today, more or less, uh, that's, uh, you know, something uh, already be proved. Like when we provide that API, majority of the usage 
is really on um, you know on social education and uh, you know miracles that's not strictly uh, online conference. So 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 that's you know that that's why we start to you know really want to focus on just API services. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Now, when when you launched Agora, there was already an open source tool out there that was gaining popularity, WebRTC. Right. I've seen some instances where open source software kind of wins the day because it has this big community around. It It has a lot of people contributing to it, sort of this decentralized thing that helps it to develop at a, at a very, very fast pace. And oftentimes proprietary software can't keep up. Right. So can you just help me understand when you created Agora, what were some of the shortcomings of WebRTC and how did you think that you could create something better? Right. Right. Actually, um, you know, I I'm highly respect WebRTC's effort and I'm a believer of open source. Uh, actually, we have, a, you know, some uh, successful open source project on our platform. We open source one, uh, you know, online classroom uh, application called Flat. Uh, it, it has, uh, you know, around, uh, I think around seven uh, or eight thousand stars on GitHub. Mm. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, it's just, uh, um, you know, WebRTC, I think the purpose of WebRTC is really to enable any browser to, in, in, you know, to embed that uh, component. So to support, uh, you know, real-time audio-video sessions on, you know, in their browser. That's a primary purpose. And uh, to make it a standard, I think it's very hard to, you know, ask, you know, all sprawlers to adapt another additional standard. Uh, so in, in, in seeing that, you know, Google was actually trying to minimize, uh, you know, the additional sort of requirements for browser builders. So WebRTC stay very minimal on supporting real-time audio-video sessions in a peer-to-peer fashion. That's designed in their, you know, sort of standard. However, you know, that's enough for, you know, a simple and, uh, you know, uh, a simple and, uh, uh, you know, um, easy uh, session for, you know, usually like one, two person audio chat or video chat. But uh, uh, for people who wants to build a full application, it's still, um, you know, a lot of additional work needs to be done. To, to get there, like you need a backend at least for sure, you know, and uh, of course you can use backend, um, uh, you know, from standard uh, based uh, implementations like star and turns to trying to uh, give you a relay of the audio video, um, you know, data. Uh, however, you know, where you deploy that and how to manage like the load balance, the full tolerance, uh, you know, the co- coverage, uh, it's a lot of uh, challenge in there. Not to mention that in some of the areas, like I mentioned earlier, uh, internet connectivity, the quality of the internet connectivity could be a big problem for the quality of the experience. If you are trying to connect from those kind of areas uh, with the standard like stun and turn implementation, the quality uh, would, uh, would, would be, you know, hardly well, you know, hardly be good quality. Uh, you know that's 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 because you know the the quality would naturally reflect the packet loss of the network. Mm-hmm. You need uh, extensive uh, additional engineering work to be able to detect 
the you know the network issue and to make uh, the best compensation for those issues to to remain as a high quality uh, session. So um, you know there's a lot of things I realize e- even with WebRTC, a, a average developer would run into as a headache when they trying to push a production level uh, you know application online for their website or for for their uh, you know uh, smartphone app. Uh, and, uh, you know, we would want to save the hustle for those developers and make their life easier. And so they can focus more on their, uh, you know, their own uh, business logic. Like if it's an education uh, application, they, 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 for sure, they have enough work to, uh, to take to focus on the classroom logic, the, you know, um, uh, you know, sort of the school management logic, the, you know, the content of the of the of the class, etc., and for entertainment, you, you need to worry about all the you know performers and the audience. How you manage then uh, their workflow and their overall experience. Um, you know, maybe sometimes you also need to manage how they tip the performer and how the you know eco- ecosystem uh, should work. So that's uh, that's idea. Uh, you know. Why we think, you know, on one side, WebRTC is, is great. Uh, we as, actually also have uh, engineers uh, contribute into uh, some of the uh, some of the PRs, and uh, but we also think, you know, uh, uh, you know, a simple and easy to use um, commercial API service, a full service uh, that customers don't need to think about even a backend. They can build application is uh, is valuable. Hmm. Are there certain use cases in which the tool that you have created with Agora is particularly well suited for, and maybe some certain use cases in which WebRTC is maybe okay enough for? Yes, uh, I think uh, you know. First of all, uh, we support. Like, um, let me think how to explain the differences. Like, we support twenty, thirty different development development platforms. Uh, you know, like pro- programming languages, uh, frameworks like uh, Flutter and uh, React Native and uh, like Unity. Those are all, you know, um, I don't think uh, WebRTC uh, has uh, internal support for that. So it's a, it, it's a job that simplifies all developers' life to be able to use the tools they, uh, they're familiar to. And on the other hand, it's also about the scalability the you know uh, availability coverage all that you know we uh, you know our today our end users uh, basically uh, you know stay uh, you know anywhere in this world um, and uh, using all sorts of uh, different devices uh, you know and uh, uh, they runs um, you know more different sessions some sessions uh, with tens of thousands of people uh, you know peak concurrent users in one session. And uh, some sessions, uh, they can, you know, uh, have breakout sessions, you know, like several thousand people uh, all of a sudden being uh, breaked into, uh, you know, a thousand groups and each group with a smaller set of uh, participants. Um, we, we uh, I think the, you know, we, we, we have the majority of the volume in uh, what we call social entertainment uh, space where people would, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, uh, maybe hanging out around some social application or social website 
to make friends um, for you know for different purposes. Education is also another areas that teacher can easily just teach their students online, and this um, actually was very useful during the COVID period because a lot of times students just cannot go to school to see their teacher. Uh, those are the majority of the you know current ways for people to use it, but there are、uh, many other use cases. We have um, uh, practically uh, in uh, more than twenty verticals.、Uh, we have more than you know we have、uh, around two hundred plus、uh, use cases in you know more than twenty verticals, which we have、uh, actual volume, and there are、uh, still like new inventions. From our developer community, trying to do more things on that.、Uh, well, WebRTC, I do see it as uh, sometimes uh, people would want to use it as just a、uh, you know one to one sessions or very small group sessions,、uh, less than three four people in one group sessions.、Uh, sometimes,、uh, e- especially in the areas, if all the participant are joining from the areas that they have a good、uh, internet connectivity. Then uh, it, it's uh, you know it's usually、uh, people would see it as a tool. It's already enough. Okay, okay. If we were to kind of zoom out and think about the entire RTC market today, right? How might you put some numbers on how big this market is?、Uh, I'll say you know today it's not that big.、Uh, you know uh, it's a.、Uh, uh, Honestly,、uh, I believe we are the biggest provider in this space already,、uh, and the overall size is not that much.、Uh, but but you know today the use case, like I said,、uh, there's、uh, so many different use cases that a lot of the use cases I see it as still at、uh, at its、uh, infancy, like it's still very early stage, and uh, uh, there might be things that those use case. Cases are not、uh, mature yet, but once those use cases become mature, it's definitely going to you know to 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 grow much bigger.、Uh, you know, I'll give you one example. I've been talking about it for years.、Uh, mm-hmm. Like、uh, we have a, a customer, you know, they just trying to、uh, reinvent the emergency service,、uh, ambulance service, where they they use our APIs to. Once they receive a a call for ambulance, they send send a text message with the URL embedded, where if the patient or patient's friends click on that URL, a video real time video link is brought is、uh, you know brought up,、uh, and doctor would be able to see what happens to the to the patient, and、uh, give instructions while the ambulance is on the road. Uh, this、mm. thing, you know, it's to save people's life. It's not about、uh, you know、uh, money or, or, or what, but、uh, it. I totally see it should be you know being replicated to all ambulance services. It's just still trying to grow into the whole industry because、uh, they need to figure out you know more things before、uh, it be, be being considered as mature and、uh, popular. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting, and and that's what I think so fascinating about Agora is that it's a tool, right? So、yeah. this is one use case of dozens,、um, or you know, potentially hundreds,、uh, and so it 
you know, it doesn't necessarily have to work out th- this particular use case, even though it sounds really cool. Uh, you know, there could be there could be other alternative use cases to yeah. RTC. As this industry continues to grow, and more and more applications are built with mm-hmm. RTC technology, mm-hmm. what is it that separates Agora? Are there any competitive advantages that will allow you to continue to take market share in this industry? Yeah, I understand. Um, uh, I think. Um, Part of the reason really uh, behind why we started this company and building this uh, API services is um, really uh, becomes of uh, my sort of painful experience in doing this um, along the way. Uh, Because uh, there's many, many um, difficulties as we already experienced just just now, you know, maybe, uh, you know, initially because of uh, my my feeling is the initial problem comes from... uh, both connectivity, maybe cross ocean, and also the compatibility of uh, browser, uh, you know, the implementation uh, with the browser because uh, it just doesn't, you know, stop working somehow. And the second part of the issue comes from, as I explained, you know, uh, I was using a device. Uh, usually I was y- use it for internal meetings. Uh, so I have a Polycom external speaker connect to it. And I try to switch back to the MacBook internal speakers and something wrong happened during the process. So those kind of problems still happen now, you know, because of complication of the, uh, you know, audio video device uh, connected to the, to, to the uh, you know, computer or smartphone itself. But also the connectivity issue happens around the globe. You know, if you evaluate uh, from our data that the, uh, Connectivity is uh, very well in uh, usually in US, in, you know West Europe, and uh, China is um, almost you know also you know very well. Uh, but uh, uh, the rest of the world, uh, let's say you know Africa is definitely you know far behind, and uh, other regions like Philippines or South Americas or let's say in India, uh, India is catching up. But uh, is still behind, so all sorts of those uh, issues are uh, you know very painful. Um, I, honestly, we spent huge amount of time, you know, uh, working on uh, solving or compensating those problems. Like the problem is not because of ourselves. Like I said, initially, the kind of the shock uh, happened to me as a as a proud engineer. You know, I, I didn't expect. You know, my software piece ran into so much, so many complaints that people just, uh, you know, keep complaining it doesn't work. And uh, when I realized, I realized it's not a problem that I create. It's a problem sitting in the, you know, connectivity or the configuration of the device. Uh, initially, my thought is, uh, <laughs> is like, you know, there's nothing I can do. You know, <laughs> it's it's a network issue. Go fix your network. However, later on, you know, when I realized, that, especially in YY, that the gamers, they don't care who's issue. They just want to see, you know, who can give them in the same condition, same technical environment, who can get them a better experience. Then I start to really uh, invest uh, engineering resource uh, back in YY to trying to figure out ways, you know, whether we can 
like if it's a network issue, can I uh, come up with a network coding, uh, you know, algorithm where a certain level of packet loss can be just compensate if there's enough network bandwidth to, to use? And uh, if there's a connectivity issue between certain uh, areas, can we figure out another, uh, you know, route so to, you know, send the packet where, you know, there's no such, uh, you know, issues. Um, so those are the reasons that we, from the beginning of this company, we start to thinking and designing this virtual network that can, can cover global internet to maintain a high quality service of real-time packet transmission across the globe. It's quite complicated because, uh, like I said, the internet uh, across globe is very different in different regions. Uh, so that's you know like, like that's one thing we were keep doing, and uh, you know in short, I just believe in this sector. It's uh, you know, both the value of uh, making developers' uh, life easier in the way that we design a single API and support them in many different use cases, uh, but it's also a matter of uh, invest into hardcore technology like virtual uh, you know virtual network. Uh, and, uh, you know, the algorithms in front-end uh, audio-video signal processing or AI processing, uh, you know, uh, uh, algorithms to help developers, uh, you know, experience to, to get to a good enough level. Uh, plus, you know, uh, you need to accumulate enough experience and knowledge in helping developers building very different use cases like, you know, the 200 use cases on our platform. Those are the things that make us, uh, you know, you know feel, the, feel the advantage today to better support our developers. And uh, we will, you know, and we are continuing investing, uh, you know, bigger resource in these areas. To us, those problems are not completely gone yet. We want to invest more to make those problems, you know, kind of diminish, diminish faster. <laughs> yeah. We, we talked a little bit about open source earlier, and, and this kind of brings up a different question that I had is one of the unique things about open source is that it's very developer friendly. Like yes. you put it on GitHub and developers can download it and run it. When, you, when your core product is an open source, how do you develop those developer relationships? Right. I think uh, developers uh, need all sorts of uh, uh, help, you know, like uh, in our case, uh, making the APIs uh, simple and easier, like make, make those ap- APIs available in 20 plus uh, different development platforms and uh, frameworks is uh, going to be helpful for them to start with. Uh, and, uh, uh, and also uh, giving them enough examples on different use cases and trying to provide a higher quality of service with audio video session are all very helpful for developers. Open source uh, is you know, another way of uh, giving them additional help. So that's why you know, we kind of open source uh, uh, you know, uh, the, you know, the, the, the online classroom uh, you know, application uh, called Flat. And uh, we do have more um, you know, projects uh, that have the source code on GitHub. Many of those projects uh, can, uh, you know, sort of demonstrate a certain way to use our APIs. 
Plus, going uh, down the road, I'm a believer of open source. So we will consider to open source more of, uh, you know, the components. Then I consider, you know, to open source which part. Uh, you know, it's not just, uh, you know, just uh, give, give, give the source code. Uh, that that's going to be very helpful or useful. It's rather the, you know, the quality of the source code, whether the source code can really be adapted by developers. Like if, if it's very complicated for them to, to, to use, then it's going to be less useful. So, you know, uh, it also needs, uh, you know, it needs some planning and some mm-hmm. effort to make those open source uh, projects successful. Which, which sort of, gets back to your point in that it's not always agora the sum of agora is not necessarily just the the software code that you've built it's the network that you also own right, right. that helps to right. distribute and so those those algorithms are going to be useless if it's not routed through your right. your infrastructure right right and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I've been, you know, my experience uh, in my previous company is running an uh, application. And my experience, uh, you know, teach me that, you know, we, we could run into all sorts of problems like the audio uh, breakup or video just frame, uh, freezed for a second or two. However, the instability of the backend is is going to kill you, is, is the ones that, you know, just the... Uh, Critical. Uh, we 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 do have in early days, um, you know, of uh, my previous company. We do have times that uh, the whole backend doesn't work, and then it's not just one or two uh, group of people uh, very experience problems in their real time session. It's all people just cannot use it. You know, cannot see or hear each other. That's a di- disaster. So um, you know, back to the discussion around the network, the stability of the backend in real-time, um, uh, you know, engagement, real-time connections is, to me, even higher than the stability requirements for a website. Because website, usually the, you go to a website to check something, you know, usually it's not time-sensitive or mission-critical. Like, if our, um, you know, session it just cannot happen on that moment. Then the value, you know, greatly lost. We need to reschedule. Mm-hmm. But for a website, if it doesn't, you know, show up, you, you try it in 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, then, you know, problem solved. So in, in the sense of a, a time sensitive and mission critical, real-time uh, service, uh, you know, the stability of real-time service is is uh, is even more important than the average internet services. So that's mm. you know that's the areas we also invest huge amount of effort to try to help developers to experience a stable real time service. Mm. Mm. If we were just to try to forecast how big the market gets uh, or, or where it might be, I, I realize this is a challenging thing to try to predict what what might you uh estimate and is there anything that you can point to that kind of shows that we're gaining traction yes um uh, we see the um proliferation uh, of use cases continue to happen take an example of uh, you know like 2 years ago 
you, you, we all know that uh, you know certain use case like audio chat room um, type is growing. A clubhouse uh, success, you know, really create a different uh, type of use case for people to engage and discuss online. And the last year um, and the recent months, we were seeing um, you know um, live commerce where people start to sell over uh, interactive video streaming is starting to to grow. Uh, we see many customers stop that because all of a sudden online uh, like e-commerce start to get certain level of, of human connection, you know, <laughs> start to be influenced by people, uh, by people's interaction and people's passion instead of just a list of, uh, you know, description of the, of, of the merchandise. Uh, so this, this is growing. Those are, are not a surprise to us. You know, we, um, maybe we are optimistic, but we see a lot of use cases uh, would uh, gradually become mature and grow into mainstream of that vertical. Uh, and um, I don't know, you know, it's uh, sort of uh, um, contradicting. On one side, the, you know, as I said, it's current, the volume or the size of the use case are not that big or the art uh, real-time uh, session um, market, real-time engaged market is not that big. That's, that's a reality. And uh, I don't predict it grows super fast, like it's explosive growth, because, because the nature of those use case maturity is not rely on our technology. Uh, you know, it's only minorly rely on our technology. Become, you know, our technology becomes more, uh, you know, uh, stable, more, um, you know, in a higher quality, but it's depending more on the maturity of that use case in their uh, industry or vertical, like uh, live commerce, how you know uh, e-commerce uh, would uh, adopt this technology to grow their own business. That's something not decided by us. So it won't be growing so fast. However, with a long enough you know time frame, I do have a belief that uh, this thing would grow into uh, you know a portion of people's screen time. Let's say you know. When people using smartphone device, when they are looking at their screen, there will be a certain portion, you know, being, you know, that's going to be used in a real-time interactive way with another people or another sort of, uh, you know, devices or equipment or environment in the other side of the world. I would say, you know, um, like in, I don't know, in 10 years or, uh, you know, I couldn't, you know, really give an accurate prediction, but uh, uh, with the development, people would spend, I don't know, uh, like at least one, two hours of their screen time every day interacting with people or environment or uh, things in the other end of the world. They are not going to just uh, consuming recorded, you know, preset content on their device because people's mm -hmm. nature is to you know, to, to, to mingle and engage. Mm. Okay. I'd like to pivot now to speaking more about recent events. So I think any type of analysis or conversation with you would be incomplete without going over the difficulties that Agora has encountered in the last two years. So right. if I were to document things correctly for our listeners, when the coronavirus pandemic hit, 
Agora saw a massive spike in usage. And because you charge customers based on usage, your revenues increased very dramatically back in 2020. And a large proportion of those revenue increases came from the education sector, online tutoring specifically, right? And then in the summer in the summer of 2021, the Chinese government issued regulation that banned for-profit tutoring, which effectively wiped out approximately 25% of your revenues at the mm-hmm. time. And so that was a large hit that took more than a year to fully come off the books. Mm-hmm. And you somehow managed to grow the rest of the business outside of the education sector so mm-hmm. that revenues only declined a few percentage points. That's something that uh, I don't think is very well appreciated, but is an enormous accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Now, in the most recent year, we are seeing a decline in the stock market and a drying up of venture capital investment, Mm -hmm. which is particularly important for your customer base, a large percentage of your customer base, right? Yes. And And then also you have you base your prices on the U.S. dollar and inflation that has occurred in the last 12 months that has also hindered your ability to grow. Um, I mean, have I I missed anything? There's been a number of of challenges, right? Right. So maybe before before you answer all those questions, Mm -hmm. maybe just on a personal side, it's been a very challenging couple of years. Oh, and there was also... You're based out of Shanghai and there has been... There's been some pretty strict lockdowns in Shanghai in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. So, with with all of that occurring in the span of you know 24, 36 months, mm-hmm. and there's more. Like, uh, exactly. Go ahead. You know, like the you know the 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 basically the the kind of the capital market uh, you know so, uh, appreciation to SaaS software is just just drastically uh, re, re, refactored, let's say. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Not just for us. That's right. Uh, however, um, your question would uh, more from, you know, personal side, you know, my yeah. feeling and experience with that. Yes. Um, I, I think of, I, I would like to, you know, um, uh, clarify on a few things first. Uh, maybe please, you know, we, please do. We, we do benefit from the sort of the COVID uh, you know that uh, you know uh, get us uh, more um, demand. Uh, however, you know not as much as uh, just the end user facing SaaS software because they are ready to use. Uh, you know, in that case, uh, we grow. Um, you know, we do have a strong additional demand coming in, but that comes in after our developers start to develop all tools for end consumers to start to use on remote on remote sighting. So we do enjoy, uh, I think, two, three, uh, four of uh, additional, um, you know, demand in certain vectors, uh, you know, verticals. Some verticals, uh, after a while, after like education, after developers all leverage tool to build online classroom, we see like seven, ten times growth in, in, in volume. But overall, as a developer's platform, our, uh, you know, uh, additional volume is is not as, um, as uh Significant as uh, you know, SaaS software like Zoom scrolls. Uh, you know, however, when the COVID gone, you know the, that part of the reduce is uh, less. Uh, you know, is is less as much uh, as well. 
So that's that, that's that's one thing. And um, uh, we, you know, I spent most of the time in Shanghai during the COVID due to the travel restrictions. But uh, in the history of this company, I spent my time, you know, you know, my time actually spread, you know, over regions. As you know, in our IPO, um, you know, file, we um, we uh, report that we have a dual headquarter setting, actually from the beginning of this company, because uh, in 2014, uh, where this uh, demand is not clear, like. We, we we do I do run into a lot of uh, investors. They don't understand. They don't even believe there is such demand for real time engagement APIs. Uh, there's no such market. So traditionally, uh, in the history of internet or you know software, uh, a lot of uh, inventions happens in Silicon Valley and spread around you know over time from there. So we actually believe the initial demand would come from Silicon Valley. So that's why we have this uh, you know initial well, headquarter because uh, we do figure uh, you know have engineers in, in in China might be a correct configuration, but uh, if the commercial demand would come from Silicon Valley, we definitely need the commercial headquarter in in in, in, in like in Bay Area. Uh, so we maintain this, and internally we have a, we we have a very um, you know very globalized team configuration. We have. Uh, we have two official languages in, internally. We have English English speaking part and Chinese speaking part. And Chinese speaking part mainly, uh, you know, among engineers and the business customers uh, support in China. But uh, we do have a, a very, um, you know, native English speaking team where people's all coming from local. You know, we don't, we, we don't, uh, we usually we don't have people can you know kind of being dispatched. From China to different regions, we just build team locally, like in the Silicon Valley or in Europe. So, um, having said that, you know uh, the, the 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 majority of your uh, observation is true that we like going through a roller coaster experience in the past two three years. <laughs> there was a, a, a you know a, a time that we enjoy a lot of heavens. And there, you know, we are right now in, in, in another situation, definitely. For my personal experience, uh, you know, I'm a, uh, honestly, I'm a very technical guy. And uh, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't uh, leave, um, my life doesn't depend on a lot of things. You know, I have very minimal, you know, um, demand for, uh, you know, for, 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 my, for my life. And, uh, I'm happy with uh, you know everyday life already. Um, the challenge really comes from you know when we are a public company and the stock price actually tied to our team members, especially team members. But also, I I understand I realize that our investors' interests and their reward, their financial status, that's a kind of the 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 heavy weight on my shoulder or on in my heart sometimes. Uh, you know, I, I, I honestly, I, I didn't feel the, too much of the weight for myself, but uh, I do feel the weight that uh, you know. Uh, although some of the stock price, I, I don't think is rational. I, I think it's, uh, it's almost like unfair for our real value. But uh, uh, you know, uh, it's a reality that uh, we just need to 
uh, do a better job, you know, do a better job, provide a better product, and get enough and uh, greater uh, recognition from our developer and customer base. And in return, maybe they will give us a, a, a higher revenue. And I do believe we will get there uh, through our uh, focus on the, you know, on the fundamental jobs, on the fundamental values that we can create for them. So myself, you know, I do feel the tension, uh, you know, built around uh, the operation. And uh, um, honestly, um, to some extent, extent, I feel it's a good thing because, uh, you know, we now um, sort of all being more aligned that we need to be focused and uh, be focused, be agile and uh, energetic to 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 build to build better stuff and to grow. I'm sure the stock price will take care of itself as long as you continue to execute and right. you know grow revenues, grow profits. One of the challenges we didn't bring up is, unfortunately, there has been rising geopolitical right. friction between the United States and the Chinese government. Right. Has has that affected Agora's ability to do business, particularly in the United States, where there is a revenue stream, there's you know a commercial right. effort being made? Yes, uh, those uh, are definitely a situation happening, uh, you know, more and more in the last uh, few years, and uh, I mean the geopolitical situations. Um, right. Also, for us, you know, we um, you know we we are not really a consumer app. Where we have customers uh, like users' name or address or phone number, uh, you know uh, their reality in reality their identity. We don't have you know much of those information, and uh, we have a you know a, a strategy that we want to super focus on our services. So in the early days, we already have a policy internal policy uh, talking about minimal data collection. You know we we, we don't want to collect additional data. You know, so that we can, you know, monetize our time later. Uh, we want to focus on providing the better and, uh, you know, simpler and minimal uh, size, uh, like, uh, you know, service to our customer to enable they have uh, the best possible real-time engagement sessions. Uh, so, you know, we uh, we are not really, you know, uh, you know, getting too much uh, in, impact on that. And also, you know, along the way, the, with the same philosophy. We try to be open and uh, work with you know many like security uh, counterpart uh, like different security companies. We, when we work with uh, large enough software customers, they usually would also ask us you know our code being inspected by third party, and uh, you know our uh, you know security um, you know practice being uh, inspected and even audited by you know by certain um, you know uh, security auditing firm. And uh, sometimes they do do intrusion uh, kind of kind of uh, uh, you know test to see whether our system is strong enough. Uh, you know, along the way, we also build a certain uh, tracking record and uh, you know and and uh, partnership with those uh, with uh, those partners. So uh, all with all all that said, you know there are you know different uh, uh, discussions uh, for sure. And sometimes uh, there are, uh, you know, questions around that. But uh, we uh, essentially are, you know, uh, kind of a middleware. We, 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 we are software layer of that. And uh, we, uh, 
provide only the real-time transmission mainly for all uh, use cases. So, uh, and our services and developer base is really around the globe. Uh, you know, both China and the U.S. is is part of it. Although the, they are, you know, definitely important regions, but the, you know, all developers is in you know a lot of regions, and we, um, you know, we. I think we want to focus more on just provi- provide value for all those developers and uh, creating, uh, you know, really services that's useful for them. You know, just by focusing on that, we think we um, by far didn't get too much impact of those uh, turbulence. Hmm. Over the course of the last two or three years, we've listed some of the challenges, some of the successes as well that have, that have happened during this period. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that has fundamentally changed about Agora's business model or Agora's competitive positioning over this time period? Uh, the two past two, three years, I think uh, uh, there's one or two things worth, worth mentioning. First of all, although, as I said, the overall market is not you know that big, uh, it wasn't growing so fast. Uh, however, uh, you know, the, there are, you know, I think our service and uh, our uh, product kind of validate the demand. And, uh, you know, so uh, there are increasing interest in trying to provide similar services across the global market. So that's one thing. We do see there are more companies trying to, you know, provide similar service into the market. Uh, which I think, you know, is good for our uh, developer community and overall, you know, industry. Uh, however, you know, that's also a challenge for us to try to focus more on our strengths so that we can provide a better service. That's one side. Another side, I think, is um, currently happening. Uh, kind of the, the, the breakthrough of the large language model, I think it's uh, going to be a, a big shift of all, you know, internet and uh, software-based uh, business. And, uh, you know, that's another thing we, you know, I, I think would create uh, changes for our customers' business model and their way of uh, serving their own customers. And they also come up with demand of how our service could, uh, you know, uh, together with uh, their, you know, uh, design to, 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 to adapt to this uh, new technology. Maybe just a final question. Is there anything that we haven't talked about yet that you believe is very important for me and my listeners to understand about Agora or the RTC market more generally? Yes, I I just hope, uh, you know, in this area, as I said, today's uh, overall, um, you know, size is not that, that big, you know, and I just hope with the development of the use case, with the maturity of the use case and the volume uh, growing this market, we could gradually form an industry alliance or agreement around how we can be more standardized to, you know, to, to serve our customers and developers all together with, uh, you know, with, uh, with certain, um, with cer- certain uh, common practice. So to better empower the whole ecosystem and get uh, real-time engagement, uh, you know, more popular uh, so that 
uh, it would benef- benefit our um, you know, developers and e- eventually end users faster. Well, thank you so much for your time, Tony. This has been great. Yeah, thank you. That concludes today's episode of the Quality Investing Podcast. Thank you to everyone who listened to this episode. And I would like to thank our partner, Stream by AlphaSense. Many of the data points that were gathered for today's episode come from the Stream database. Please continue to follow along in your listening app of choice for new episodes coming out monthly.